0: I think it's important to really go back to the basics and listen to the people that you trust the most in your company. Have a, a very heart-to-heart um, kind of conversation with them. Um, I think that you should share as much information about the company performance, about the challenges.
1: And hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here today with Jose Antonio Flores. Jose is the co-owner and U.S. Managing Director of King's Education. Jose, welcome to My Company Story. Thank you, Don. Jose, can you tell us a little bit about what King's Education does, who you are, who your customers are, number of employees, how you're organized? Give us an outline of the company, please.
0: Sure. So, King's Education is an international education company based in the UK and the US, and we started about 62 years ago, mostly in the UK, uh, until 2011 when we brought the brand to the US. Uh, We have approximately 500 or so employees, both in the US and the UK, and um, the company is specifically working with international students interested in coming to learn English in either the UK or the US uh, with an interest as well to um, study at a British or American university.
1: I see. So so the students, do you educate these students who uh, English is not their first language and you teach them English? Do I understand that correctly?
0: That's correct. So we have different programs for different age groups, but the primordial group is for uh, I would say high school to um, early college year um, age students interested in uh, perfecting their uh, proficiency skills in in the English language prior to starting a, a formal American or British education.
1: So, are most of your students? Do they are were they have they already been accepted to a U.S. or U.K. institution, and you're helping them get their English better than it is right now, or? Do they necessarily have to go on to higher education? Can they just be
0: English uh, on its own? So that's a good question. I mean, in reality, because we have different programs for different um, students uh, based on different objectives, there is a possibility for students to come just to take English language uh, courses in a conventional manner and then just simply because they're taking a year off from either university studies or because they need to improve their English for uh, professional reasons because it's depending upon uh, getting a promotion at work. They can do that and return to their country. Um, or uh, there are instances, which is the majority of the students with, which we, with whom we work, they come because they have been either conditionally accepted by an American university or because they are um, intending to apply to a university. So many, uh, in many instances, universities look at the students' credentials and they say, this student is brilliant, they, have, they meet all the criteria, but the only problem is that their English is a bit uh, deficient. So um, those are the students that we tend to work with, and we, uh, we have a specific academic program designed for them that will ultimately then uh, uh, make them achieve the, the uh, score that the university requires to remove that condition to the admission so that then they could be fully admitted and start their, their university.
1: Oh, I see. So they may be, uh, a student may be admitted to UCLA, but UCLA says, you know, this student needs to know English better. They'll recommend you. You take that student in to a classroom and get them up to speed with English. They pass the test, and UCLA says, great, now they can come and join us, that type of thing?
0: That's exactly right, yes.
1: Now, Jose, do you have, are there, are there uh, centers or classrooms scattered around the country that you own or do you contract out with them? Do they go to a, a learning center? Tell us about the actual dynamics of how that looks.
0: So in the UK, we have four um, um, own and operated schools in the cities of London, Bournemouth, Oxford, and Brighton. And we, uh, we have those, those schools that we operate ourselves. And in the schools, we offer all the services that a student would normally get at a uh, U.S. college. So we, we have meal plans, and we have about 17 to 18 uh, residential um, units where uh, we house our students. Um, in the U.S., we have adopted a different model. Most of uh, the reason behind it is that Uh, when I was um, given the mandate of of basically setting up the company in the U.S., I wanted to make sure that we did it the American way. So um, I wanted to capitalize on the great campus experience that universities offer. So we have effectively contracted a few universities, and we are hosted by them on their campus, um, and we teach, uh, so we rent classrooms from them, we teach our courses as part of the kind of a student experience, but then the students have access to the gyms and the cafeterias and the meal plans and all the um, student focus um, kind of life that students would normally get in that setting. And there's one exception. Our school, uh, our school in Hollywood is a standalone school that we also operate uh, in the heart of Hollywood. But all the other programs are on university campuses.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great. So the, so the student from another country, can, from France or Germany or wherever, they can come over here. They can either be on a campus, a US campus in, uh, in New York City somewhere or San Francisco, or if they're coming to UCLA, in my example, they may be in your facility here in Hollywood where they will learn English and live as a college student with all the uh, uh, amenities that they have before they uh, start their, their uh, degree there.
0: That's, that's correct. Um, and we have uh, schools in New York, um, in Boston, Wisconsin, and, and two in California.
1: That's fantastic. So, Jose, how did you uh, end up uh, in this role of running, being the managing U.S. Managing Director? Uh, what was your journey? How did you uh, come about to being doing this job?
0: I love actually answering this question because, in a way, it tells a story of... Um, of serendipity in a way because uh to you know it, it kind of goes back to the core of who i am uh, as an individual and then uh, who i became as a professional and effectively i am originally from puerto rico so we um, as an american who grew up speaking a, another language as my first language even though i i grew up speaking english as well um it it really uh, and having come to study in the u.s Uh, mainland U.S., um, it actually made me realize that uh, sometimes international students or students who don't speak English as their native language they face certain challenges when they go to a university setting and many times those language um, challenges that they face have an impact on their ability to uh, perform in a particular way and and it also creates a set of uh, needs and and objectives. after I finished my my graduate studies, I started working in the field of uh, education development through um, organizations, nonprofit organizations like the Ford Foundation and the Fulbright, the Fulbright program. Um, and then it, it really made me realize that there was a world or an industry out there that I didn't even know existed, and that was of international students wanting to come to English-speaking destinations to perfect their English with the intention of of Attending a university. So I started working for the private sector in various positions um, one of which was I was the vice president of um, International marketing and recruitment for Kaplan, uh, which was at the time owned by the Washington Post I did that for 11 years and then after 11 doing that for almost 11 years I realized that I could do this on my own and I met other people in um, throughout those years in the industry, and we decided to start our own company in 2007, um, and uh, we basically um, took time off and started looking at potential uh, companies that would fit our our business plan, ended up buying a company named, at the time, Kings in the UK, and then brought the brand, as I said, three years later to the US, and, um, and uh, as the... My other partners, three of them are British, and as the only American, um, out of the four owners, I'm the only American, it was only natural that I would be responsible for not only setting up the company from scratch in the U.S., but also uh, managing all the aspects, operational and financial aspects of the company in the U.S., and that's what I've been doing since 2012.
1: I see. So that that explains it. Because when you mentioned it's a sixty-two-year-old company, but really you bought the brand and then reinvigorated the brand in the UK and the US. Then and now, running the brand, own the brand to do that.
0: That's correct. When we bought it, it was a three, very small three-school company, only based in the UK, and we just took, um, we just made sure that we um, we we brought that brand and and to your point, uh, reinvigorated it. Uh, and and made it uh, more uh, American as well, so that we could we could have a strong proposition in the U.S.
1: That's fantastic. And now you've grown to over five hundred employees and and uh, quite successful. It sounds so. Yes. Tell me a little bit, Jose. I know we were talking about earlier how you've had some really interesting things happening in the last four years with the business. I know with both Brexit and with uh, national nationalism with uh, Donald Trump's. Uh, uh, agenda and uh, and Brexit. How did those things affect the student, foreign student population uh, coming to the U.S. and to the U.K.?
0: So uh, after um, the election in two thousand sixteen, which happened to coincide also with the announcement that Brexit was becoming more of a reality in in the in the British context. Uh, uh, I cannot deny I was a little bit apprehensive about our future. And certainly, as every company does, we have our own three-year, five-year plan. And I, I was um, uh, a little bit reticent to um, to make uh, a lot of projections that were on the positive, positive side because we both saw those, um, those two major events as uh, detrimental to our business and, um, uh there that was followed by the um the so called muslim band so um a lot of our clients um and students come from the uh were coming from the middle east at the time there were 65000 students just from saudi arabia studying in the us Uh, Now, that that number has gone down to about 800 or so uh, coming per year. So, in essence, uh, a lot lot of challenges presented themselves, uh, both from the UK side, which is um, half of our business, and also the US side. Interestingly enough, Brexit ended up being a bit of a blessing in disguise in the sense that because it created a very unstable situation in the UK, that had an impact on the the British pound plummeting, which then, by default, made uh, the uh, made the um, the ability for students to buy international programs in the UK a lot more accessible. So that was the unintended kind of impact of of Brexit. Um, in, in and you know there were a lot of emerging markets that would have normally not been able to access an education in in british pounds all of a sudden because of a twenty twenty five percent or so drop uh, against their currencies made it all more possible um so that actually in the last the, the last two years uh, our business in the u k have uh, has actually done incredibly well uh, because of those of those factors when it comes to the u s um, the story is not as, as positive in the sense that there has not been an, in, an increase in business. But what it did create was uh, it kind of forced us to be a lot more laser focused on certain things that uh, this uh, very adversity created. And quite frankly, I had to go through a, a process of maybe um, uh, cutting costs that you know, in both staff uh, costs and uh, operational costs. Um, but when when you do that, you also it forces you to really um, adopt some of the principles that uh, maybe even Jack Welsh uh, always talks about in terms of creating um, a, a hierarchy of performance. and 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 you know you hang on to your your best performers and you elevate their positions. you have a meeting with them, and you're transparent about the challenges, and you give them more responsibility. And, um, and ask them if they're up for the challenge. And uh, you know, we we're, were lucky that those people um, uh, have actually embraced the challenges. And I think that quite frankly, um, I feel as though we are a far more, um, uh, I would say stable and a, a, far, a far stronger company today than we were uh, two years ago as a result of that. So I think the worst is over. We've actually become a lot more nimble and and uh, and and focus on on our operation and, and our operational efficiencies overall.
1: So that's interesting. So so in the U.S., because as your example, the Muslim ban example went from sixty-five thousand students down to eight hundred students. You had a decline in 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 customers really, and then and so it forced you to uh, become leaner and more efficient, and really asking your employees to step up uh, step up to the plate. Whereas with the British, uh, with Brexit, the pound became weaker and that then in helped uh, drive more business to your company because people, more people, more foreigners could afford it. Is that, did, did I get that correctly, those two scenarios?
0: That's correct. And, you know, it's interesting because it's almost like a yin and the yang. While the pound plummeted and became more accessible to get, at the same time, that's when the dollar has actually become very high. So, um, so we... I think part of the being nimble and flexible and also adaptable is having a strategy not only based on your source markets, uh, you know that being the countries that where the students are coming from, but also having a strategy that is particularly designed for the destination market. So the, our strategy in the UK became very different from that of the US by virtue of these kind of. Difference in one currency being very um, very low and the other one being very high um, And that's exactly what we did. So we we created uh, Some price differentials in different markets according to the u.s. To make it more accessible We then reduced our promotional pricing in the UK because it was not as necessary because the pound itself was creating that accessibility that a promotional price gives you and then we It also forced us to uh seek new channels of businesses like um institutional uh um uh, organizations that we were not necessarily working with in terms of um uh kind of um institutional partnerships as opposed to retail kind of uh, recruitment
1: interesting so so really these two adverse situations really helped you become uh, leaner, more efficient, and also forced you to look into new markets that you weren't otherwise into then.
0: That's correct. That's great. Yes.
1: So, Jose, as you, look, as you look forward in your industry, what trends do you see uh, coming up? I know that Brexit has, is now uh, what's enacted or is behind us now, and, it's, and it's, it, we know where it's going. It seems like we don't know where the U.S. election is going, but where do you see the future uh, in your industry uh, with the political environment uh, coming down the road the next two, three years?
0: So I think some of the trends that I see in the industry is that, sadly, I think as you, many of your audience, uh, 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 people may be aware of, there is a, uh, a trend in the U.S. higher education that um, points to the fact that we have 4,500 uh, universities in the U.S. and we have about 22 million students uh, in those institutions. Um, but we, as a country, uh, we're having fewer children, and the financials of the of a household have changed drastically in the last 20 to 30 years, making it more and more difficult for parents to afford uh, full tuition at many, uh, many uh, at many universities and colleges. So what that has done is that it's created this kind of spiral effect uh, where uh, many student uh, sorry many universities are actually closing and are going bankrupt or they're just not financially uh, viable. Um, and I, I see that trend happening to the point of I would um, even think that um, in the next 20 to 40 years, there will be probably 20 to 25% decrease of, of those institutions. A lot of it has to do with the lack of differentiation between colleges and also the high cost. it's becoming so expensive. For students to study that. So they will. I see that um, international students will uh, continue to come to the U.S. We're, we're still the number one destination for, uh, for studying the world. We have about 1.1, 1.2 million students coming every year. But I also think that there are countries like Canada and Australia that have actually started be, becoming more and more competitive with the U.S. And they have taken a lot of market share, specifically Canada, because of lower currency and also uh, allowing students to work so i see um while the i continue to see the us being the number one destination i i think unless we have drastic changes in our uh, immigration posture and how that links to education the way that it was done in the 50s where we were trying to recruit the best students for phd programs and then we would we would give them an immigration path after that because At the end of the day, we were training them in our best institutions. Unless we take that route, I see the U.S. losing, continuing to lose more and more market share to other places. I also think that another trend I see is the prominence of online education and being finally embraced as a perfectly bona fide and and acceptable way of, of learning and teaching. Um, so I see a lot of more online content um, and and less of a of the conventional four year campus program. And I also see a population in the world that's becoming more and more bilingual. So students who will already come with a higher proficiency of English. So that behooves companies like us to try to re-examine the way in which we do our teaching and and we operate our our, our companies.
1: That's fantastic. Well, that, that is, that's very good insight, I think, for many of our audience who may not know the industries as, as well as you do about what the future may hold for universities, online education, and and bilingual education around the world. So that, I appreciate that. Jose, what would you? What other bits of advice would you pass along to the other business owners that might be listening who who are facing adversity in some areas of their business, be it tariffs from China or the coronavirus or whatever we have going on right now, what? How would what? What? What advice would you pass on to other people who may be listening to this show who are in your seat in a different industry?
0: I know it's is almost at the risk of sounding uh, like I'm saying a cliche, but I I really think that my advice is to really take an opportunity when there's a challenge and turn it. In, sorry, when there's a challenge and turn it into an opportunity. I think it's important to really go back to the basics and listen to the people that you trust the most in your company. Have a, a very heart-to-heart um, kind of conversation with them. Don't conceal information. Share absolutely. If you trust them, um, it, you've hired them because you trust, you trust them. And if you trust them, um, I think that you should share as much information about the company performance, about the challenges, and about the objectives of how you want to turn – things around because a lot of the times the answer is in uh, the collective effort of many and not necessarily on you as a, as a company as CEO or managing director I think oftentimes we think that we tend to have all the answers and that's not necessarily uh, the right approach so I think it's you know basically increase and improve and enhance the channels of communication be transparent, be brutally honest about your, um, about your, um, your fears, but also as, as, as well about your, um, where you see opportunity and, and allow people to actually uh, participate in the way in which you, you've hoped to turn things around.
1: That's fantastic. That's great advice, Jose. I really appreciate that. If, uh, as we wrap up here, if, um, if anyone listening wanted to get a hold of you or learn more about you, what would be the best way for them to reach you or to reach King's Education?
0: I urge them to contact our website just if they want to get context about who we are and what uh, sort of programs we do in more detail. But if they want to contact me, they can uh, send me an email at Jose, J-O-S-E, F as in Frank, L-O-R-E-S, at uh, kingseducation.com. So that's probably the, uh, the best way to contact me.
1: That's fantastic. Well, Jose, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your experiences with us, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to MyCompanyStory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at Don at Burge.com. Thanks for listening.